You are tuning in to the Atlanta Realtors Rundown, the official podcast for the Atlanta Realtors. We're here to keep you updated with the latest trends, topics, and keep you in the know of our ever-changing Atlanta market. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back. This is your host, Kate Wright. And today I have the privilege of speaking to one of my great friends, longtime um, realtor relationship I've had in the uh, Atlanta area, Dan Nelson. And Dan, um, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to get started. Good morning, Kate. Uh, Obviously, I'm Dan Nelson and I've known you for, what, 10 years now since we've been in real estate, maybe longer. Yep. Um, what I focus in in the Atlanta market is typically working with investor buyers that are helping uh, accumulate portfolios to build wealth in different directions, as well as help people dispose of their assets when they're exiting the market. Uh, we do also handle some what we call retail business, where we're working with buyers and sellers that are selling their personal home, but the majority of our, our focus is related to investing in real estate. And so I wanted to bring you on here today because when I think of investing, especially in the Atlanta market, I think immediately of you and your family and what you guys do. This is not just surface level stuff you guys have going on. This is the real deal, the nitty gritty. You know the lingo, you know the underwriting, you know all the things. And so if anyone in the market here is listening to our podcast and they've been thinking of possibly wanting to work with investors, help investors, maybe even become an investor themselves, you are the guy I would direct them to to give them all the answers, all the information. You're all, you guys have got your finger on the pulse of what's going on as it relates to this. And you have such neat experience and such a vast understanding that you're the first person I wanted to bring in to talk about this today. So the first thing that I'd love to hear from you is just a little bit of a kind of market update as it pertains to Atlanta and what we've seen over the past few years um, related to investors, what they're looking for, what they're wanting, what they're coming to you with, and how that market is kind of maneuvering at this time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, over the last 10 years, I would say, you know, 2011, 2012, things shifted uh, in a different direction in Atlanta's market, which was really exciting in our space for single family residential. So uh, the bubble, if you will, that created, you know, price opportunities and appreciation rides that were available to investors also became attractive to institutional buyers. So we had a different buyer profile type that was coming into the market that was, you know, essentially driving prices and taking a pretty large market share of properties uh, to their portfolios, which created some different challenges for the individual investors or the mom and pop investors, if you will. So over those years, obviously, it was it was hard to miss in Atlanta. You know, we've we've got a lot of indicators that you know, uh, kind of drive the appreciation here and and drive the rental demand. But um, here recently, things have shifted a bit. Obviously, with the interest rates that have hiked um, and rents are stabilizing a bit. We're still increasing rents, but they're starting to plateau a bit. It's starting to create a little bit more of a challenge of how are you going to identify an opportunity that's going to work for somebody for a long-term buy and hold investment. So that kind of segues me into wanting to hear a little bit about the types of buyers that do come to you all. When you get new clients or you have investors come knocking, what type of people are you seeing? What do these buyer profiles look like? Are they all the same? Give us some more information about that. 
Yeah. So obviously experienced investors typically know what they're looking for and know what their target is. And uh, we, we use a term called buy box for people that essentially is going to be a buyer profile and a property profile of what they're looking for for vintage, which is the year built of the home. You know, most people are constantly saying the newer, the better. And obviously that can be the case, but in certain areas, that's not always, uh, you know, doable. You know, if you're looking in town, a lot of times the vintage is older. So you've got different challenges that go along with that. And then you're also looking at uh, what type of returns are going to be appropriate for you. But the, for the most part, new investors will contact us and say, I want to invest in real estate, but I don't know what I want to do, what type of investment vehicle suits me. So we'll do a consultation and basically decide what the buyer profile is so that we can say, you know, certain people in different types of or di different uh, timelines of their life will come to us and say, what works best for me? And there's a lot of questions you can ask your clients about, you know, is this going to be something where you're leaving legacy money to your children? So um, you might be looking for a higher cash flow property that might be more of a, you know, class C type of property that's got, you know, higher cash flow related to the purchase price. Or this may be somebody that's younger in their investing career that doesn't necessarily need the cash flow to live off on their monthly basis for their budget. And they can say, hey, as long as I'm covering my debt service payment and my operating expenses and still a little bit cash flow positive, I'd rather have something with a better appreciation ride so that at the end of my investment, I've got a larger balloon payment and I can wait whatever term that is for me to exit the market or exchange that property for a younger property when the large capex items like roofs and ACs and things like that come due so that you're not constantly coming out of pocket to invest cash that's not necessarily earning you something right away. Um, so there's a lot of different strategies that go into that, but the, the best thing to do in real estate in general, which most listeners already know, is find out what suits the client best and give them advice that's going to suit them and their lifestyle and their budgets the best way you can. And that relates to uh, residential real estate just like it does to investing in real estate. You mentioned Class C, and I'm wondering if everyone who's listening even knows what that means. When you're breaking down the terms of working with investors and you start talking like that, I think it's very important that people understand that they need to know how to talk like that. But where do they go? Where, where can they learn about some of these terms and some of the things that investors would be looking at or should be looking at if they're going to work with them? So when you, when you relate a property to being Class C and you talk about CapEx, what would be a resource or a place that you might advise people to go to learn about these things? Well, one thing that you need to understand if you're working with investors is understanding cash flow analysis. So there's a lot of different tools that you can use online. Um, there's, there's a lot of literature out there that you can read. Um, you can also get with local property managers and brokers that specialize in that field to get some on-the-job training with what they're doing and what they're seeing in your local market. Um, but when it comes to classifying properties, there's, there's different variations and different opinions on what people are going to use as uh, the information to qualify a property that way. But in general, we would typically look at, you know, a class A property is going to have a heavy ranking on how the schools in that area are working, which typically has a direct impact on the appreciation rate for that property. 
a lot of times that the vintage of that property is going to correlate with that as well. And the rental rates are typically going to correlate with that as well. So it can kind of scale down from, you know, if you're using a tool like greatschools.org, for instance, which a lot of us use, or even Zillow that I think syndicates or, or it probably has an IDX feed or something like that with, um, with great schools. So one of those tools you can use to find out what the school ratings are. We typically like to focus on the high school because in Metro Atlanta, in my opinion, a lot of the feeder schools are going to correlate pretty heavily with the high school because most people are going to stay put there. So, you know, if a school's rated eight through 10, you know, that would probably be considered an A, obviously with the other variables uh, assisting that, um, you know, six and seven, I'd probably put at B and then five and below, I'd probably put at C. We typically try not to look at uh, ratings under a certain amount um, just due to vacancy and credit loss issues that are going to be a lot higher. You're going to have a lot more turnover, uh, a lot more delinquency and stuff like that. So uh, those are factors that you need to understand for your clients so you can make assumptions that actually help your projections come to fruition over the time period they plan on holding that property. Exactly. And so if you can kind of comprehend all of that, you'll be doing your investor a huge favor and you'll look favorable to an investor as a person who can represent them properly. So it is so important that any realtor who wants to work with investors or become one really understands this stuff and educates themselves on the, the things that Dan's talking about before they go out and start trying to pull investors or become one themselves. Um, I want to quickly talk a little bit about the costs that are associated with this. I know a lot of people hear about investing and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to have, I have, to have all this money to do that. I'll never be able to do that. Could you talk to us a little bit about what the financial snapshot or picture looks like as it pertains to, we know that there's going to be cost for a down payment and a purchase, but what comes after that? Yeah, so after your down payment and purchase, typically there's going to be, you know, CapEx or renovation items. So um, typically you're going to handle during your due diligence period what your renovation costs will be. <clears throat> And we, you know, we typically will find out during our consultation what an investor's risk tolerance is towards renovation. Because when you see a, an invoice or an estimate come in that's $50,000, not everybody has done something of that magnitude before, and that can kind of scare them away from doing a job like that. So you want to find out what's their risk tolerance, what, you know, and that's going to help you find and, and identify properties that works for them. But on average, I would say a property that doesn't need significant CapEx, like structural roof or uh, mechanical systems is probably going to be in the $15,000 range on average. And most investors from what I see that come in are going to kind of cap that number at about 30,000 before they get a little squeamish, uh, seeing what's coming across the desk. Uh, and then the experienced guys can typically look uh, up to about 50. We try to keep ours at tops 50 just because the timelines matter so much. It's hard to get contractors that can handle jobs over $50,000 in an appropriate timeline. So when you start factoring that into your cash flow analysis underwriting sheets, you want to make sure that you can actually deliver a product that's going to finish on time and you're, you're, you're assuming the right amount of vacancy and downtime in between the time that you closed it and the time that you're putting a tenant in place. Would you say you err on the side of estimating that conservatively? We do now. Uh, for a long time, it was a little bit easier, but uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys know out there, whether it's you know getting a house ready to list or buying an investment property, that uh, getting the right construction team on site and getting things done on time due to stuff that's out of their control, really, 
uh, with some some labor shortage, and then obviously we've got some uh, shipping issues as well with some of our materials. Uh, what's nice is we're starting to see material costs come down a little bit, which is helping out a bit. And I think the teams, um, you know, that were kind of coming out of the back end of COVID are having a little bit less downtime that was unexpected. But we're still being a lot more conservative with our estimates. You know, it was, I can think back when you and I worked together 10 years ago, we could do about a day per thousand dollars on our renovation jobs. And it's mm -hmm. significantly higher than that now, just due to the competition that's in the market and wanting to work with people that are uh, pricing their renovation jobs appropriately for your clients. So you're making sure you get, you know, affordable price, but also deliver a, uh, a product that's in a workmanlike fashion that you can stand behind. Sure. And so, though that was a while ago, things change rapidly in investor world. Um, you could have a client or a buyer that's gung-ho, buying like crazy, and then within a day, they just turn the switch off. Talk to us a little bit more about how investors evaluate the market, what they look at, what research they're watching, what you could do as an agent to stay on top of these things, and what you should be paying attention to, like economic reporting-wise, to be a, a, the best help to your clients that are investing or yourself? Typically, you know, the biggest thing for what we're doing is going to be related to understanding exactly what property is going to rent for and being able to research and understand here's something I can almost guarantee to my client that we're going to get post-renovation. So understanding comps in your market, you know, across the entire metro Atlanta market is something you need to do. And obviously we've got FMLS and Georgia MLS that we're using as our primary tools. I think Zillow is still actually, as much as we don't like, you know, using Zillow for Zestimates, I still think they're a really good tool to see what your uh, customers are seeing. Right. So, you know, potential tenants are going out there and looking at, you know, other property management firms and private owners that are listing their stuff on there. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're listing a home that's going to be competitive within the market, but you're backing it up with comparables that actually closed on your MLSs. So it's just very similar to what you guys would do on your, um, your listing or when you're evaluating something for one of your buyers um, for one of their homeowner occupied, uh, occupied homes. But uh, go that step further and, and try not to push the market too hard right now if you're doing it today, because we're, we're starting to see that, you know, you can still be on the high side of the comps if your finishes are there, but pushing the market starting to slow down a bit. Sure. So you all are watching all the MLS systems that you're working within, paying attention to Zillow, things like that. Um, when you are making these estimates and what you have I know that everyone's going to have come across this if they've worked with investors. You have investors that are pushing back. They're telling you that you were wrong. They want to try this. They want to try that. How do you all handle that? Obviously, there's going to be differences of opinion from time to time. But, you know, establishing yourself as the expert in what you do is typically what we all try to do at the you know forefront of every deal that we're going to do with anybody. So if we're going to be the advisor and not the gopher, then we've got to prove ourselves and prove our math and prove our projections. So that stuff happens over time. But, you know, if it's a first time deal, there's different techniques that you can use that. Obviously, you can say, hey, yeah, we can go with your number, but let's have something in writing acknowledging that I made this recommendation. You decided you didn't want to go with it and that you know, that time frame that we lost due to being too aggressive is on you. And that's fine. That's your home. That's your investment. 
uh, we can go on your directive. I work for you, the client, uh, essentially, no matter what. So we want to do what you want us to do within reason, but we also want to do what's in your best interest. So I have to give you good advice and I have to give you honest advice and I have to back up my advice with real data. So, um, you know, there's a combination of things that goes into that, which is why we have cash flow analysis spreadsheets, which is why we provide market analysis reports showing exactly when and, and uh, when something leased, you know, how big was it, what what condition was it in and what was the exact price? And uh, those things go a long way. And I think most clients out there are going to be pretty reasonable when you're supporting uh, your arguments or your point of view with, uh, with things like that. You just hit the nail on the head. You're providing your client, just like we should in a traditional real estate setting, with the proper uh, data and information and reports to back up what you're saying. And then you're taking control as the professional, but still respecting them as a client. I love that. Um, when you're doing these cash flow analysis, I'm curious, what type of things are you looking at? When I hear people talk about investing, I hear lots of terms that can sound kind of foreign. NOI, EOI, cap rates. Talk to us a little bit about the numbers that are important to investors and how you get them. Yeah, so a lot of it uh, comes down to property data that should be factored in. So obviously, we're looking at square footage and why are we looking at square footage because we're probably going to have a different average over uh you know a four-year period you know we we average about 48 months on tenant uh turnover so mm. we've got an average tenant stay of 48 months so if i'm going to hold this investment for 10 years what should i be assuming my turnkey costs are going to be so in that 10 years i've got a minimum of two turnovers so what are those going to cost well you know how big the house is has a big you know uh indication of how much your flooring or your paint's going to cost you. Um, one of the big things that we're seeing lately that has affected our cash flow analysis is the real estate taxes. Mm. So a lot of people like to use uh, the previous year that's listed on the listing or on the tax record instead of assuming or projecting what the new taxes are going to be on the new sale price. And since we've had these crazy jumps in appreciation, that's a big assumption to miss on what your cap rate's going to actually be. And for obviously sure. we can talk about that more later, but that's been a huge problem for us on finding which properties we think are going to work for us long-term and, and which properties aren't if a client needs to sell that property within, you know, two to five years versus holding it for 15, you know, 10 or 15 years. Um, Aside from that, you know, we're looking at things like how much are we assuming for insurance for that particular individual? Do we have an opportunity within our company to opt into an agreement that saves them money by pooling together with other investors? Are they doing that or are they not? Does the property have an HOA that's going to cost you something monthly or annually? That is a obviously a huge problem. If it's monthly, then that's probably something that's not going to work for a long-term buy and hold. It may, sometimes it does, but a lot of times it won't. Um, here in Atlanta, it seems like annually, a lot of stuff's going to range between 150 and $500 a year. And that stuff will typically work because that's not a huge, um, huge cost to the investor. Um, from there, you know, we want to make sure that 
based on the classification of the property, we've got the right assumption for how much vacancy and credit loss we're going to have. So what's the likelihood my tenant's going to be paying on time through their tenant stay? And what's the likelihood that we might run into a situation where we have to evict a tenant, which is something that nobody wants to deal with, but it's a reality in the market. So Mm -hmm. we have to prepare for those things and make sure that if we're going to take a higher risk on an investment, that we're getting that higher return. So it's got to be worth doing. Perfect. I love that. A lot of things that we need to think about that it's easy not to know until you've experienced it. I've also had a client who came to me and was like, you know, I, I found this property and I'm looking at it and the numbers look amazing. And I'm like, well, send me your numbers. Send me what you put together and we'll go check it out. And they had forgotten, or maybe they just didn't know that they had a senior exemption on the taxes for the person who currently owned it. And so they had a very low assumption for their taxes. Yes. And I really had to hurt their feelings and let them know that it was going to be almost triple that at this point. So that is an important thing to point out to people who might not have exp- experience with this yet. Um, what would you say the advantage is would be to having your home professionally managed as a investor? You know, obviously there's an advantage to not being the direct contact to a tenant at all times a day or all times a night for maintenance related items. But the biggest thing really comes down to landlord tenant law, whether you're an, you know, an expert in that or not, it could be an issue for you. So if you don't know you're breaking the law, that doesn't mean you didn't break the law and you're standing defending yourself in front of a judge. So we've spent 37 years, uh, understanding landlord tenant law in our areas. And, uh, Obviously, it's put us in a position to give it good advice to our to our clients of, you know, what can I charge at a move out and defendably receive from a security deposit? Or how do I handle certain situations legally and ethically that don't put you in a position where you're talking to a person in a black robe on a day that you should be at work? <laughs> Doesn't sound fun. I think another thing that I would point out is just not being responsible you know, solely responsible for the whole process. You know, if you go with a professional management company, then you have somebody who's listing your property for you, who's facilitating the uh, uh, lease agreement, all the other administrative side items as well. So, you know, being in real estate, we know how laborsome that can be. (laughs) Um, And I know that that would be something that would be nice to offset. So I think, you know, any investor is going to have to think through you know, what's the best uh, course of action for them. But typically, in my opinion, someone who doesn't have experience in real estate at all is really not a good candidate to be self-managing. Typically, no. But, uh, you know, people get lucky, too. You know, sometimes you find the perfect tenant and they're going to pay every time and never bother you and they'll just fix their own stuff. So Mm. if you're that lucky, then I would you know, honestly give you the advice to the detriment of my business, go ahead and keep self-managing. But we all know that's not the case on average. So uh, a lot of times there's going to be a lot of difficult situations at difficult times of day or night that you don't want to deal with. And that's where we come in with our experience to help make sure we prevent as much of that as possible by the way that we screen our applicants, by the way we use our techniques to collect rent, or the way we um, end up having to deal with tenants that are non-paying and, and get them out of a home as quickly as possible by understanding how the court system works and um, navigating that process without any guesswork. It's a lot. It is. You guys have your hands <laughs> full, that's for sure. Um, I think that I would love to end this podcast by just talking a little bit about 
the really the power of real estate and investing. And you know, we work in this in this space. Anyone listening to this is likely a realtor. Home ownership is very important to us, but there's a lot more than just home ownership as a primary residence. There's a lot more opportunity in real estate and there's a lot of, you know, launching opportunities to build wealth long term. If I came to you and I said, I'm really new to the investing side of things. I, I've never experienced uh, owning an investment property, and I would love to. What would your advice be to get started, and what would you tell me I would need to do to prepare? Well, one, it would be a long consultation for us to figure out where you are uh, in your life and where you are financially. But uh, assuming you know we, we determine that you might be a long-term buy and hold that has the time to buy a, a property with appreciation, you know, the things that we would put together is deciding, you know, what's our you know, projected budget going to be? How, how quickly are we going to get there? And do we understand the market enough to put you in a place that you're going to be comfortable being? And I think it's hard for us as realtors and for our clients sometimes to step back and re remember that investing is about dollars and cents. And it's hard to take the emotional aspect out of it. So that's one of the big coaching points that we're all going to have with our clients is to say, look, does the money matter more to you or does the property being right down the street from your current home matter more to you? And sometimes, you know, the latter is, is the answer and that's fine, but you need to know that before you make a big decision like investing into a, into a home. But a lot of times uh, you start coaching these guys into saying, hey, let, let's look at an opportunity that we're confident is going to perform the way we want it to over this period of time. So that may be on the other side of Metro Atlanta. That's maybe not convenient to get to, but that's why third-party managers exist. We're the ones driving over there inspecting the homes or coordinating the renovation or repairs and things of that nature. Or understand that, hey, as a landlord, if I'm self-managing as an agent, it's an investment. So I've got to invest my time as well as my money into Absolutely. this as well. So uh, a lot of times it's just creating reasonable expectations and understanding that that's an investment that's worth doing. So investing in anything, even you know, outside of real estate, is it's the same qualifier for you. Is if I put X amount of dollars down, is this percentage return over this timeline acceptable to me? Money. Exactly. <laughs> I, you hit you hit the nail on the head. Money. I, I love it. I love everything you had to say, Dan. You listen. I learn something every time I talk to you. You know, I was going to say you know it all, but I know you'd say you don't. I feel like you do. You have so much experience, and you have a great family around you that also has experience, and I love that too. So if anyone is interested in learning more or wants to talk further about any of the things that we've discussed today, you can certainly reach out to Dan. Do you mind sharing how they could reach you? Yeah, we'll have my contact information with the podcast, but you can reach me on my email if you want to talk about you know building wealth in real estate or just understanding our market a little bit more. I'm happy to network with you guys. My email is dnelson at excaliberhomes.com. Well, thank you so much, Dan. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing you around at the Atlanta Realtor Center. Yep, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to the Atlanta Realtors Rundown. Please subscribe. And for more information on how to get engaged, check us out at atlantarealtors.com. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode.